Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra. This is the Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is 12 October 2023. That makes it the official Columbus Day in the United States, uh, named after Christopher Columbus, who, um, let's not forget, really did discover um, the New World. Uh, and I think 1492, if I remember my history correctly. And of course, Christopher Columbus was Italian. I come from Italian heritage. So in Chicago, where I grew up, Columbus Day was kind of a, um, it was an enantiomeric holiday to St. Patrick's Day. Because let's face it, Chicago had more Irish than it had Italian. And the Irish kind of dominated it. So St. Patrick's Day was a really big thing. And um, St. Joseph's Day, which happened two days later, was much lesser of an event. So the Italians, we Italians in this city, well, we really celebrated Columbus Day because, hey, let's face it, we got the day off, right? Of course, the Irish always took off St. Patrick's Day, and you know why. All right, <clears throat> enough about um, American history. Let's go into lecture number, um, let me see which one it is here. It's going to be number eight in our biomedical portrait, which is looking at neurodegenerative diseases associated with proteins on the surface of antigen-presenting cells primarily. And that would be the HLA peptides also um, in association with what's known as the major, you know, they are the major histocompatibility complex proteins in humans. So <clears throat> let us continue. You know that there are multiple kinds of neurodegenerative diseases. We were talking about the heterogeneity of them just at the end of last lecture. And even though there are multiple uh, syndromes and specifically named diseases with specific uh, histopathology, presentation, morbidity, um, these many of these diseases have multiple neuropsychiatric presentations, which are very similar. That was what I was getting at the end of last lecture. But I mentioned that there is a great florid, I will say floridity, of pathobiochemical events that are laying right below the surface of the, plant, of the pathophysiology. Okay, and you are now learning some of that. <clears throat> of course, um, we've talked about this many times. Whenever you talk about diseases, there are multiple biochemical lesions that can result in diseases which present as a syndrome or a complex. Take autism spectrum disorder, where there are over 100 different genes which can be implicated for um, <coughs> ASD. Yet, none of them specifically um, have been linked to um, the actual contraction of autism. Okay. So similar with neurodegeneration, like we can say, well, there are certain gene products, let's say the A-beta protein uh, from the amyloid precursor protein, that when the A-beta is generated because of proteolytic activity and it's secreted, 
and it oligomerizes, and it's in the right um, CNS, subnuclear compartment, it can generate not just plaques, which are probably benign sequestration of polymers, but um, enough of a proteinopathy to induce neurodegeneration in association of microglia with neurons. We talked about that the last, what, four or five lectures. Um, so keep in mind, though, that much of the neurodegenerative diseases that are typically considered CNS diseases can also occur in the periphery. So there are PNS diseases as well. Um, but the ones we've been really trying to key in on, of course, are um, the CNS ones, as would be Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Huntington's, ALS, and frontotemporal. So many of these neurodegenerative diseases have, again, very common pathophysiological features. One of them, which we brought up a couple of uh, lectures ago, which I promised I was going to give you a lot of discussion on, was the depletion of a protein called TDP43 in the nucleus. And the pathologies associated with the accumulation of TDP43 in the cytoplasm via hyperphosphorylation, polyubiquitinylation, and ultimately cleavage of the protein. So the deposition of TDP43 in the cytoplasm, that is deposition, not translocation utilization, which you'll see is very important, but the deposition of TDP43 in the cytoplasm can actually damage the nuclear pore complex, the NPC. And when that occurs, all the transcription factors that need to be transported in and out of the nucleus can be corrupted in terms of their translocation across the nuclear envelope. So what you end up getting then are a series of diseases linked to TDP43 degradation in the cytoplasm, known as nucleocytoplasmic transport diseases or disorders, NCTDs, right? <clears throat> so TDP43, when it cannot return to the nucleus where it performs specific functions at nucleic acid level, will eventually form TDP43 inclusions in the cytoplasm. And that's due to, again, to the hyperphosphorylation, ubiquitinylation, and then obviously proteolytic cleavage. So the neurodegenerative disease associated with abnormal aggregation of TDP43 are known as, wait for it, TDP43 proteinopathies. So <clears throat> transactive response DNA binding protein, that's the TAR, TDP43, that's the full name of the protein, its given name, right, <laughs> is an RNA DNA binding polypeptide and it's encoded by the TARDBP gene. Now, the protein contains about 414 amino acids, and its mass is, yes, 43 kilodaltons. It's expressed amongst many other proteins as a heterogeneous nuclear ribonucleoprotein, 
So it's one of these HNRNPs. It's part of that family. So you know it's not really a DNA-associated protein so much as it's linked to RNA metabolism. So you can think about everything from transcription through translation. That's correct. Now, it's been shown that TDP43, which is encoded by that TAR-DDP gene, is significant in the pathogenesis of many of the diseases we've been looking at. Now, significant at what level? That's the question, right? Is it a biomarker? Is it a result of other pathologies? Or is it part of the induction? You know, or is it the overall architectonic lesion that results in many of the other proteinologies? Because I just explained to you, because of it, it generating this nucleocytoplasmic transport disorder um, syndrome, it could be that many of those other proteins aggregate or erstwhile are not correctly metabolized through the lysosomal machinery because of a backup of proteins not moving in and out of the nucleus, maybe even just simply controlling stress response. So um, you can see why there's a lot of interest in this. So there's a paper published in Molecular Neurobiology just last year that we're going to be using quite a bit here, but you'll see we're going to be talking about a lot of papers. So TB43, again, regulates RNA metabolism, and with that, it appears to play a very vital role in protein quality control. It has a role in mitochondrial protein translocation, mitochondrial protein synthesis from RNA from the mitochondrial genome. So TB43 has been reported to play a role in mitochondrial autophagy. That's called mitophagy, as well as mitochondrial fusion and mitochondrial uh, reproduction, fission. Okay? So TDP43 seems to be involved with CNS in various uh, critical places, exonal transport, microglial-associated exonal elongation, and with that, vesicular transport. And then there are multiple physiological responses that have been linked to TDP43. Um, basically, the protein unfolding response is one, but overall cellular stress, of course, involving reactive oxygen, pro-inflammatory cytokines, etc. So the protein itself, um, N-terminal domain, first 102 amino acids. Then there are two very important RNA rec motifs, the RRM1 and 2. The first motif, our, the RNA recognition motif, is between 106 and 177 uh, in the sequence, and then um, RM2 is 192-259, so they're not directly linked. They're, there's space in between the two, about 20 amino acids, it looks like. Then there's a C-terminal domain, which also plays a role in its biology, as you might guess. And that's a, a good, oh, almost half of the proteins. Well, third, anyway, 274 to 414, uh, ending at 414 amino acid. Now, TDP43 is typically found in the nucleus under normal physiological conditions, with the caveat, what do we mean by normal? 
right? So TDP43 obviously is going to play a role in the cytoplasm because it's involved in RNA metabolism. And you know that even though RNA is synthesized either in the mitochondrion or the nucleus or in plants or even in the chloroplast, um, well, most of the protein synthesis, well, all the protein synthesis is going to be occurring outside of the nucleus, outside of the nucleus. Although TDP43 is involved in the DNA RNA hybrid metabolism prior to generating a nascent transcript, you see? Now, cytosolic localization confers RNA metabolism. And it's very complex on how TDP43 plays a role. Because not only does it confer localization in the cytoplasm, but also in the mitochondrion, and so there seem to be specific transport mechanisms, maybe not just for TDP43, but certainly it's a major cargo. And that, that cargo trade goes from the nucleus to the cytoplasm, where TDP43 plays a role in the translation of polypeptides at the polyribosome and in the ER for glycosylation support of protein synthesis, plus the mitochondrial contingent linked to messenger RNA stability and preparation for nation translation in union with, coherent with, nuclear genome output, meaning the transcripts coming from a nuclear genome. Now, upon binding nuclear, nuclear localization signal, that's the NLS, to the nuclear import receptor, um, TDP43 can return from the cytoplasm back to the nucleus. Normal expression of a select repertoire of genes, this is at the level of transcription now, um, is linked to this TDP43. Okay. In fact, it depends on the death transcription of some of these genes depends upon the constitutive molar concentration of TDP43. Now, the M1 sequence, which is 35 to 41 amino acids of the NTD, that, that's the terminal uh, amino terminal sequence, the M3, which is 146 to 150 of the RRM, and the M5 sequence, which is a 294 to 300 of the C terminal, jointly mediate TDP43 mitochondrial location. So all components of domains of that protein are required to get the protein to traffic into, obviously by folding uh, sequelae into the mitochondria. So the two RRM domains preferentially recognize UG, that's RNA, TG, rich, single-stranded or double-stranded DNA-RNA hybrids. Variety of functions there for messenger RNA stability, transport, the and also if there is any sluggish trade between the movement of the TDP43 and the nation transcript, transcriptional inhibition can occur. 
TP43 also plays a role in selective splicing, splice variants. And it overall, TP43 seems to play a role in positive accounting of translational regulation, translation of the polypeptide. So the RRMs and RNA polymerase 2 both bind to DNA to form a transcriptional complex. That's correct. That's the RRMs from this TDP43, right? And that takes part in gene editing for overall alternate splicing. Here, the TDP43 RRM domains work to remove, link, or skip exons. Now, here's an interesting pathophysiological story. Where we find TDP43 playing a role here with exon-intron shuffling is with the CFTR exon 9. So the alternatively spliced exon 9 of the cystic fibrosis transmembrane conductus regulator, that's CFTR gene, codes for the initial part of the amino terminal nucleotide binding fold of the protein, exon 9. So a unique feature of the acceptor splice site preceding that exon is, of course, going to be a variable link polymorphism within a polypyrimidine tract. And that actually influences the extent of skipping over exon 9 in mature now CFTR messenger RNA transcript. So when you look at this repeat, this terminal nucleotide binding flow repeat, for its relationship to CFTR mutations that have been mapped, because remember this is the cystic fibrosis transmembrane conductance regulator, so it's involved in cystic fibrosis, that disease. When you look at this repeat for relationship to the, to the canonical classical CFTR mutations and the intragenic markers on various chromosomes from German patients who have cystic fibrosis, has shown that four frequent length variations were associated with four predominant haplotypes. Pre haplotypes previously defined by specifically intragenic dimorphisms, right? So this exon shuffling or complete skipping over, right, in this case. So one of the alleles in this uh, study with these 200 um, CFTR mutations studied from these German um, patients showed an absolute linkage disequilibrium to the major cystic fibrosis mutation, which of course is Delta F508. It's the most common one. Other frequency FTR mutations are linked to one particular splice site haplotype. And that may suggest a differential skipping of X exon 9, contributing very little to the actual clinical heterogeneity 
among cystic fibrosis patients with an identical mutation. Because it's because here we're talking about single nucleotide polymorphism being part of the canonical feature of CF mutation resulting in disease. But then when you're dealing with entirely moving around exon 9, it doesn't map to the same frequency of the mutation associated with the disease. See? So it contributes a little to the cl clinical heterogeneity of patient presentation. See? Now, they found another novel missense mutation that's a B456F and a novel nonsense mutation that's Q414X within the coding region of exon 9. So the missense mutation adjacent to what's called the Walker motif A, this gene has been well studied, so it has specific given names for some of the motifs. The Walker motif A was present in a pancreas-sufficient cystic fibrosis patient. And in contrast to that, the pancreas-insufficient Q414X Delta F508 heterozygote, this would be a compound heterozygote patient, suffered from severe, a very severe form of the disease. That will indicate, when you, if you're keeping track of the splicing, that alternate splicing of exon 9 does not overcome the deleterious effect of the stop codon within that exon. Okay? So you have to think about what's going on with skipping over an exon versus when the exon is actually part of the transcript that becomes translated and turned into the protein, thus resulting in the disease. You understand? There's two different levels of mutational idiosyncrasy in the CFTR gene. And this is just talking about exon 9 heterogeneity, which are protein TDP43, which regulates RNA metabolism, is linked to. And TDP43 is also intimately associated with neurodegenerative diseases. That's how come we got into this whole discussion. Okay? Just to remind you, CFTR, that's the gene that codes for an ATP binding cassette super transporter. In fact, it's in that family of ABC, super family. So the ABC proteins typically transport molecules across extra and intracellular membranes. And the ABC genes are actually divided into seven distinct subfamilies. CFTR is a member of the MRP subfamily. Why is it called MRP? Multiple drug resistance. Okay. So the encoded protein, CFTR, typically functions as a chloride channel, and it controls the regulation of other transport pathways, including movement of water. So mutations in the gene that we just talked about are associated with autosomal recessive disorders known as cystic fibrosis and congenital bilateral aplasia of the vas deferens.
Cystic fibrosis is a very nasty disease. People can live with it for many, many decades. Um, now, I actually had two very close friends who were identical twins, uh, Vicki and Vivienne Barker from Moab, Utah, that had cystic fibrosis. And um, they lived into their early 60s before they passed uh, due to their disease. So it was very tragic. So alternatively spliced transcript variants have been described, and many of them result, of course, in mutations either in the gene itself, like we were talking, or in alterations of splice variation. So just to give you, uh, a, I don't know, some background of what's going on here, you have ion pumps in duct cells. So you have chloride that's pumped into the lumen of the duct cell by the CFTR. It's one of its normal features. Same time that happens by carbonate and sodium are moving through the M3 receptor. Um, that's a co-transport. Sodium can move in and protons can move out. That's an antiport system. <clears throat> Chloride can also leave by its own channel to the uh, outside the cell, outside the <clears throat> duct cell. So when ion pumps in the duct cells are become dysfunctional, the fluid can become hypotonic, particularly at low flow rates. And the pumps, these ion pumps, can't keep up sufficiently to maintain both the polarity of all these different ions moving across the membrane of this uh, ion pump, of this duct cell, but also the bulk transport of water. Because there is no paracellular transport of water in these cells. Water transport in the intestine, where cystic fibrosis often is first observed, is actually passive. And water follows an osmotic gradient. <clears throat> but the water transport is dependent on ion pumps to maintain that osmotic gradient. And which of the pumps do you think is very significant for pumping chloride into the lumen of the intestinal cell? That's right. It's the CFTR. So that particular gene product, that polypeptide, you see, some mutations in it are going to corrupt the osmotic gradient bringing water across. And this is what happens with cystic fibrosis patients, right? Same, similar things happen in salivary duct, too. So there are certain sites of common phenylalanine deletion that are near the nucleotide binding domain. That's where ATP has to bind. Um, and there's a lot of other detail about this CFTR I could talk, talk to you about, but I'm not going to now. Uh, that was just to remind you of where this the gene we're talking about that regulates the CFTR exon 9 plays a role. Remember that gene is the TDP43. Right? That's why I brought up the CFTR. Okay, let's look at our time here because there's another protein I will just briefly mention to you. It's also regulated uh, a similar level. I think I got enough time. Let's go really quickly here. So another protein that's regulated um, 
by the TDP-43 is a protein called SMNXN7. So real quickly, spinal muscular atrophy, that's SMA, is an inherited motor neuron disease caused by the homozygous loss of survival motor neuron 1 gene. In the absence of SMN1 inefficient inclusion of exon 7, which is where the TDP protein binds, in transcripts from nearly identical SMN2 gene results in ubiquitous SMN decrease. However, there's a selective motor neurodegeneration. Not going to get into detail there because I don't have time. But you see how the linkage of one gene, like the TDP43, that we're talking about and being involved in neurodegeneration. Okay, Because remember, it's a protein that can become proteolytically modified to aggregate the cytoplasm. Proteins normally involved in RNA metabolism, both in the nucleus and the cytoplasm, including the mitochondria, the endoplasmic reticulum, as well as polyribosomal translational machinery. Right? Now I'm telling you TDP43 also invo is involved in exon shuffling. And I just explained to you two genes which it's been linked to to control the specific shuffling of certain exons, which are related to pathologies linked to those genes, which are totally unrelated to neuropathologies. That's correct. All right, we'll get on further with this. This is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry Podcast, 12 October 2023, saying bye for now.